Everything you're hearing is from the Home Depot, from the baseboards and nails, to these throw pillows, even those super soft sheets. Because now at the Home Depot, you can get everything for your bedroom, from wooden nightstands to modern benches. Save up to 25% on select bedroom furniture, plus free and flexible delivery and easy in-store returns. Shop decor now at homedepot.com. More saving, more kinds of doing. Valid on select items online only. Free delivery on select items, $45 or more. Visit homedepot.com for more information. Welcome to Creating a Family. Talk about adoption and foster care. Today is the show you've all been waiting for, our annual show on the adoption tax credit. You're going to enjoy it as you always do. You're going to learn things as you always do. Here's a sample of what you're going to hear. It's very important to see um, what your tax liability is. That's what I advise everyone. Look at your last year's tax return, and that will give you an idea of what your tax liability is um, each year, and that will kind of tell you how much you're going to be able to use of the adoption tax credit. This show is brought to you by Creating a Family. We are the National Adoption and Foster Care Education and Support Nonprofit. I'm Dawn Davenport. I am the host as well as the Executive Director of Creating a Family. This show is brought to you by the support of Jockey Being Family Foundation. Their mission is to strengthen adoptive families through post-adoption services. And one of the things they do is provide or have their free backpack program for newly adopted children. So if you know of an agency that would like to provide free backpacks, they're adorable, high-quality backpacks, customized with the initials of the child as well as uh, inside, uh, an adorable little bear and a blanket as well as some parenting resources, uh, have your agency go to their website, jockeybeingfamily.com, and click on the backpack program and they can apply therein. And it's a great program and I think you'll want to do to do that. In addition to Jockey Being Family, we also have partners who believe in our mission of providing unbiased, medically accurate, as well as emotionally accurate information about adoption and foster care. One such partner is Holt International. They were founded in 1956 with the goal of providing children with loving and secure homes. They have programs that strengthen and preserve families that are at risk of separation, and they lead the global community in finding families for children who need them. Today, we're going to be talking about the adoption tax credit for 2018, and that is for taxes that will be filed in April of 2019. Um, This is a, a topic that is relevant to anyone who adopts or should be relevant to anyone who adopts. Our guests today are Becky Wilmoth. She is an enrolled agent and adoption tax credit specialist with Bill's Tax Service. And we have Josh Kroll. He is the adoption excuse me. He is the adoption subsidy resource center coordinator at the North American Council on Adoptable Children. Well, welcome to Creating a Family and this interview, Josh and Becky. I should actually say welcome back. You guys uh, have been so kind to uh, every year uh, do this interview, and it has, it's so well received and it is so helpful. So, so let me start by just saying thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, let's start, Josh, with you. And I want to start at something that is 
extremely basic but extremely important. Well, first of all, let me just say what the amount is. The amount for the adoption tax credit for uh, 2018 is 13810 All right, and that's for qualified adoption experience, expenses. Now, we're going to talk about all of that in just a minute, but I want to start, go back some, and talk about the, the word credit. This is a tax credit. So can you walk us through, Josh, the distinctions between what a credit is, where it applies, and how it differs from things like deductions or other forms of tax savings that people can utilize to reduce their taxes? I'm sure. And the one thing I do want to just clarify on, on your intro is that special needs adoptions, adoptions that are considered special needs don't necessarily have to have qualified adoption expenses. Just want to make Good sure point. we don't lose anybody who hears that part and turns off the, the podcast, <laughs> the radio show. So, okay. um, so it, yeah, a lot of people um, don't really understand how taxes work, um, and, and Becky is definitely the expert here, but I, I definitely feel confident in being able to explain the basics here. So um, if anybody's ever done their taxes by hand, uh, because what most people are hearing about, you know, in news um, and, and things like that are deductions. You know, with tax reform, the standard deduction almost doubled for most people, although um, the exemptions um, were eliminated, and we can talk about that a little further on. But those are things that reduced the adjusted gross income um, to get to your taxable income. And the taxable income, for anybody that's ever done their taxes by hand or ever watched someone do their taxes by hand, which is someone who paid attention to taxes more, probably more than 10 years ago as everybody's using software, um, mm -hmm. that number, the tax table, the, the taxable income was taken to the tax tables and lined up with the filing status and brought back um, what people owe in federal income tax. And that's, there's a couple things added to that, the alternative minimum tax, um, credit uh, repayments, um, and there's two new things this year. I don't remember what they are, but Becky probably does. But that gets you to what you call your tax liability, um, which is what you owe in federal income tax before credits and before other taxes are added in. And that's what the adoption tax credit can reduce. Um, in prior years, um, if anybody's looking at last year's tax return, that would have been line 47 on a 1040 or line 30 on a 1040A. Um, this year, with tax reform, that will show up on line 11. Okay, perfect. Becky, we got a question, um, and I'm going to just summarize it. The person uh, is saying that they uh, had uh, heard that the uh, tax credit is only useful if they have federal tax liability, which is true. Then they said, um, but we do not pay any federal taxes. Uh, and they implied that they had they actually got a refund every year, which tell or they said they actually got a refund every year, which tells me that they're making a that they may be confused as to what is being withheld for their taxes and assuming that they don't have to pay anything because they're actually not writing a check, but they are paying because they're having money withheld. So can you address the distinction that I think is fairly common between uh, people who have money withheld from their paycheck to cover um, their federal tax liability. Absolutely. And, and that is one of the biggest um, misunderstandings. Um, the difference between your tax liability and your withholding um, is generally what you get back as a refund or what you pay every year. 
so some people, well, I get a refund, I don't have to pay, so, um, you know, that means it doesn't work. Now, if someone, you know, absolutely has zero tax liability, um, they still need to go ahead and take the credit so they can carry that forward, um, obviously because everyone's tax situation can change from year to year, especially this year with the Tax Reform Act. Um, but just because someone gets a refund does not mean that they do not have tax liability. Um, because it is a non-refundable credit at this point, um, it will cover their tax liability, and what they do not use, they can carry it forward for up to five years. Um, so, so it's very important that uh, even if you do have zero tax liability, um, you still need to go ahead and take the credit and carry that forward. That's a lot easier than having to go back and amend. And, and like I said, with the Tax Reform Act, um, there's a lot of people whose tax situations are going to be different this year. Um, when it's non-refundable and it just covers your tax liability, federal tax liability, there are some things that it does not cover. Um, it does not cover um, self-employment tax. It does not cover first-time homebuyer payback. And it also does not cover a pension distribution penalty. So if you take something out of your retirement and you're under 59 and a half, you have that 10% penalty. And since it's a non-refundable credit um, and it just covers the tax liability, those three things will not be covered. So it's very important to see um, what your tax liability is. That's what I advise everyone. Look at your last year's tax return, and that will give you an idea of what your tax liability is um, each year. And that will kind of tell you how much you're going to be able to use of the adoption tax credit. So uh, another question that came in, and again, I'm going to summarize to make it quicker. Um, if you have, if you can apply the adoption tax credit, and you've already <clears throat> not, uh, you have already had uh, the amount that you pay in taxes withheld out of your every paycheck. Does that mean you will be getting a larger refund check? Uh, from the IRS. Becky, let me ask that to you. Yes, absolutely. Because what happens is when the adoption tax credit comes in and covers that tax liability, um, you are going to get your withholding back, plus you are going to get additional child tax credit, which this year is the refundable portion is $1,400 per child. That's the refundable portion. The actual child tax credit is 2000 but the refundable portion is 1400 So if the adoption tax credit it, it takes care of your federal tax liability and you don't have any self-employment tax or, you know, or any of those other little odd things that's not covered by it, um, you should get all of your withholding back plus the additional child tax credit of $1,400 per child as long as they qualify uh, for as your dependent for that year. Well, and how one, does? Oh, go ahead, go ahead, Josh. And the the one other thing with that though is because um, I've run into this a couple of times with people who are uh, retired and getting pensions is for that additional child tax credit there is an earned income requirement. Correct. Yes, there is. Yeah. So it, it so that, won't that hit everybody. That it, hit, it should hit most people, but it won't hit everybody. Right. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay, uh, Josh, what types of adoption are covered uh, through the uh, adoption tax credit? 
uh, international, private, domestic, or domestic infant, um, and foster care adoptions. Um, the first two, the international and private domestic, typically it's based on the expenses that are paid for the adoption. Um, for adoptions from foster care, um, usually families don't have expenses, um, or if they do, there's not very much. But if the children qualify for adoption assistance, they will qualify as special needs and can claim the full amount of the credit. The regardless. only, regardless of expenses actually paid, and the only adoption type that is not eligible is for adopting your spouse. So if you're doing a step-parent adoption, adopting the person that you're, the, the child of the person you're married to, those expenses are not eligible. And let me just throw in that even though uh, embryo donation, creating your family through embryo donation, which is sometimes called embryo adoption, um, Becky, I'm fairly certain that uh, that is not covered either. That's actually not really a form of adoption, but it is so often um, lumped in that I, I want to raise that to the expenses associated with embryo donation or sometimes called embryo adoption are not covered either. Correct. Um, okay. Hey, Becky, what about uh, same-sex partner second-parent adoptions where that's legal in a state? If if they are legally married, um, as Josh uh, said earlier, um, it would be the spouse's child, and so therefore it would not qualify if they are legally married. What if they're not legally married? Because if they're not either they are choosing not to. Correct. But they're, if they're not, they're if they are partner. not legally married, yes, they can uh, adopt the child and take the adoption tax credit. And the, the, and, and, the one, the one other thing okay, I would okay. say, um, just because um, the IRS often isn't good at nuance with the vast volumes of returns that they get, I have talked to some families who are trying to maximize their tax benefit. And if they aren't married, they plan to adopt the the you know their partner's child, um, and plan to you know and plan to get married and plan to adopt, but they aren't yet. Um, if they want to maximize the benefit, they could adopt, but I would get married the next year. Correct. Okay, that was what I was going to say. Does it matter if? And this would apply to I would assume it would apply to same-sex partners as well as uh, opposite-sex partners. And uh, if if they're not married by choice, not with same-sex partners, it may be by law, but assuming it's by choice, does that matter? Josh, does it matter that they say, you know, we're choosing, we're actually doing this for the tax benefit, you know, so because it's better for us. Uh, does that matter? Do they have that choice and then uh, for then being able to a second parent adoption, uh, getting that covered? Yeah, I mean, they definitely can do that. I mean, the IRS is, like I said, is doing vast quantities and it's really – what is the situation at the time of adoption? It's just like the other one that created problems for families is we have wonderful families who are adopting teenagers, um, you know, and adopt kids before they turn 18 but turn 18 during the same year, the same tax year, and that uh -huh. can confuse the IRS even though the child was legally eligible at the time. And that's why I just made the, the, the suggestion if they do plan to get married at a late, you know, at some point in time, and they want to maximize it, do it in another year just to prevent that extra um, work in. Or the potential confusion. <laughs> right. It clears yeah. the water. Yeah. yeah. Um, and will save you time in the end. So, Josh, if the child, let's go, let's take your example of the child uh, turning 18 
If at the time the adoption was finalized, the child was 17, then the family, the parents are eligible for the adoption tax credit. Is that correct? The child, yes, they'd be able to take it. Even if the child two weeks later turns 18, uh, and at the time you're filing your taxes, uh, it's okay. Yep, and that may be, I would just say, anybody in that situation prepared to have the IRS ask about that. And if push comes to shove, I'm more than happy to to talk with families, um, but they're, they're going to have to provide documentation of yeah. the child. You know, the, the adoption took place while the child was under 18. Yeah, just documentation would indicate the date of the adoption as well as the child's birth date, and they, yeah, yeah. you would have to submit it. So what about if you complete two separate adoptions in one year, um, either adopting uh, siblings or just two uh, non-related children? Uh, Becky, how does that uh, how does that work with the adoption tax credit? You would you would qualify for two of of the uh, adoption tax credit because it is per child, and I mean it depends on you know of course what type of adoption, if it's foster, if it's international, or if it's domestic. But let's just say just for the for the sake of two adoptions, if they were final in that year, yes, you would qualify for. Uh, the adoption tax credit for each child. Okay. And the, right. the one other thing, the one other thing I want to add, since we went to the sibling part, because there are tax preparers out there that don't read the instructions, like Becky I know does. Um, if a family adopts four or more children in a year, um, they fill out additional form 8839s. Um, there's only uh, spots for three children on one form. Um, the instructions are very clear on this, but they would fill out um, an additional form um, to capture that fourth and fifth or sixth, and then even a third form if there's a sibling group of seven. Also, to tag that, um, mm-hmm. if they carry it, if they have um, adoption tax credit to carry forward, they still mm-hmm. need to do the additional 8839s as long as they are carrying that credit forward if they are doing more than three. And you can get all of these forms on the IRS website, and they are correct. And they're also linked in the instructions, so you can pop over there, and so it's easy to get. All right, now uh, we say that the adoption tax credit is for qualified adoption expenses, and we'll talk about exceptions to that uh, in a minute. But um, so let's talk about what a qualified adoption expense is for purposes of the adoption tax credit. Josh, you want to start off by hitting up the high points on what is included, and then we'll uh, we'll talk about some of the uh, subtler distinctions in a minute. Okay, well, I'll go with the easy ones then. Um, yeah. As listed in the instructions, um, adoption of fees, attorney fees, court costs, travel expenses, including meals and lodging while away from the home, and adopt and readoption expenses relating to the adoption of a foreign child. Um, this would also include background check. Um, home study costs, um, you know, all those things that normally people think of that they need to do um, to, to complete the adoption. And uh, a question we received that I will go ahead and answer, and that is if you pay a separate fee to a placing adoption agency and to a home study agency, both fees would be allowed to be included. 
Becky, what about things if facilitators or consultants are allowed in your state? I guess consultants are allowed in most, but if facilitators are allowed, uh, can you claim the fees for uh, adoption facilitators or consultants? Yes, ma'am. Okay, so it's uh, it's uh, any it's, if if you need it to adopt, then it's generally covered. Okay, Correct. then let's talk about some things that um, perhaps. Uh, uh, Often, many states allow parents who are adopting an infant privately, a domestic infant adoption, to uh, pay uh, expenses of the expectant mom, um, both before and sometimes after, up to a usually a specified amount of time after the birth. Uh, and they're usually legitimate expenses, and they're usually specified by state law what can be included, uh, things such as transportation and housing and food, things such as that, maternity clothes. Can those expenses, they're expectant mother expenses, but sometimes people are calling them birth mother expenses, uh, so your agency might, can those be used to, uh, as part of your uh, qualified adoption expenses under the adoption tax credit? Birth mother expenses are not a qualified uh, expense, um, unfortunately. Um, there's There's very few things that, um, are not qualified expenses, but unfortunately that is one of them. Because the IRS, you know, says all costs, you know, directly relating to the adoption that are reasonable and necessary for your adoption. And unfortunately they don't, you know, consider um, living expenses and things like that for the birth mother as a necessary expense. Okay, well let's also talk about failed domestic adoptions. Or international, but let's start. Let me start with uh, failed domestic adoptions, either um, uh, uh, domestic infant adoptions or foster care. Although usually there's not too many expenses there, so let's primarily focus on domestic infants. So you have uh, applied, and perhaps you have been matched uh, with an expectant mom. Um, you are going forward. You have incurred expenses. Perhaps you're traveling to meet that person. Perhaps. You, uh, you've paid an agency fee, uh, so you've incurred expenses. And then uh, the mom decides to parent, so the adoption fails. Uh, what happens to those expenses that the a family, the adoptive family has incurred? Um, a couple of things. You have a couple of options. Um, option number one would be to... Uh, when you have a successful adoption after a failed adoption, is to combine those expenses and to claim it as one adoption. Um, the other option that you have, option number two, is the year following after the expenses were paid. You have to wait a year. But after those uh, expenses were paid, you can um, claim the adoption tax credit on your tax return um, the year following that, that the expenses were paid, but whatever credit that you receive for that failed adoption when you file it, when you have a successful one, the amount of the credit that you receive for the failed adoption must come off the successful one. Um, mm -hmm. So let's say, for an example, um, you paid expenses in 2017 and the adoption failed, um, you could not take them on your 2017 return, but you could take them on your 2018 return, which you will be filing here shortly. And then since you do not have um, a Social Security number to tag 
on that form 8839. Um, I would suggest, number one, in the, in the name box, you know, you just put not final, and then it, your return will have to go paper um, instead of electronic, and then attach a statement from your agency showing an, exactly what was paid and when it was paid and that it was paid in 17. That way you qualify for it on the 18. Um, a lot of people, they just choose to combine them um, because it, you know, takes longer, you know, whenever you file uh, your tax return paper instead of electronically. Um, but, but I do both. You know, it's, it's really up to uh, the family what they would prefer. That is strictly for domestic. That is not for international. We're going to talk about international in, in just a minute. So just to be clear, let's say, okay, you uh, let's use your example of you paid an agency fee and some travel costs uh, that uh, in, 20, in the summer of 2017. In the fall of 2017, the uh, baby is born and the mom decides to parent. And let's say that you decide that adoption is not for you. After that experience, you're saying, no, I'm not going to do it. So you have no intent of, of adopting again in the future. You can still ap- apply for the adoption tax credit. You had to wait a year, so you'd be applying for it in the year 2018. Um, but you could still apply even though you do not ever plan on, at least at this point, adopting again. Is that, did I Correct. hear you correctly, Becky? Okay. Correctly, yes. Yep. All right, now let's talk, Josh, about failed international adoption expenses. Let's say you have, let's go back using the example, you are attempting to adopt uh, internationally, let's say China, and you, uh, let's say you travel to China uh, in the summer of 2017 uh, to adopt a child, but when you get there, for whatever reason, you decide against finalizing that adoption, so the adoption does not go through, and you return home. Can you claim uh, at any point the uh, expenses that you incurred, your agency fee, your travel, or whatever, uh, for the failed domestic adoption? I mean, I'm sorry, international adoption. No. um, For international adoptions, to be able to get the credit, it has to be final. Um, And it was pretty heartbreaking when Russia closed and families were tens of thousands of dollars in in that process and um, weren't able to recoup any of that with the adoption tax credit. Okay. All right. So those are the primary distinctions, and we're going to go further to to, uh, even more distinctions between domestic and international. All right. That's a great segue into the when can you claim the adoption tax credit? All right. Let's start, uh, uh, Josh, let's start with you. Uh, we got a question uh, from Jason. He says, if we have adoption expenses during 2018 but do not finalize an adoption in that year, and he's talking about a domestic infant, can I claim those expenses for my 28 re- 2018 return or do I have to wait until my 2019 return? So when can you claim the adoption tax credit for expenses incurred let's say 2018 in this point, but the adoption, it's a domestic infant, and the adoption is not yet finalized. As Becky had just said earlier, it would have to wait till 2019, but even if they did not get matched or finalized in 2019, they would be able to claim all of their 2018 expenses on their 2019 for a non-finalized domestic adoption, infant adoption. Okay, so you, 
You're, yeah. You have to and, wait and, a year, and then you can, yeah. even if it's still not final, you can claim Correct. it. So Jason yeah. for sure will be able to file next year for what he paid in 2018. If he does finalize in 2019, they'll claim the 2018 and 2019 expenses on their 2019 taxes. Gotcha. Correct. They'll just combine the two. Okay. Correct. Now, uh, okay, Becky, let's talk about international then. Um, the um, When can you claim the adoption tax credit for an international adoption, which quite frankly now is often more than one year, the process from beginning to end, so you're incurring expenses over multiple years. So go ahead. Correct. Um, on the international adoptions, they, they do have to be final um, before you can apply for the adoption tax credit, and you accumulate the expenses. Generally, it's, like you said, it's generally over, you know, maybe even two or three years. So you would accumulate all of those expenses together, um, and then whenever the adoption is final for the international adoption, that says, okay, let's say, for example, it was final in 2018, so you would uh, claim the adoption tax credit on your 2018 return that you are getting uh, ready to file. The only exception to that is if it is a non-HEG country, and you um, readopt in your state, you can choose to take uh, when it was final in the country or when you readopt. You generally have to make that distinction. And the reason that's pretty important is because some of the states that have uh, an estate adoption tax credit, it follows the federal. So whichever you choose as final, um, that is the year that you would apply for the state adoption tax credit. So you kind of need to be thinking about that if your state has an adoption tax credit, um, that if you are going to readopt, um, take the credit on the year that you uh, do the readoption, um, and then and then you can take the state um, at that same time. That's that's really the only time that that there is you know any. Uh, decision to be made, but general international adoption is, um, it has to be final. And, and nowadays, uh, in the vast majority of countries, the adoption is finalized in country, meaning right. when the adoption is finalized as the parents have traveled over to the country where the child is living and is born, and the adoption is finalized then. I'm trying to remember, Josh, I don't know if there are, and the actual visa is an IR4 visa that a child would come on if, if the adoption is non-finalized. I believe there are a few countries still where the adoption is not finalized in country. Do you know off the top of your head, Josh, if that is true? I don't know. Okay, I think there still are. And if that's the case, um, you, generally what happens is families uh, uh, then adopt the child. There's a final adoption here in the United States. Usually they have to wait whatever the required period of time is by that state, usually something around six months. So, Becky, in that case, it would follow into exactly what you just said, that you would then have to finalize here in the U.S. following your state law, which usually requires an X period of time that the child lives with you, six months Correct. or thereabouts. And then you finalize, and it's that date, because it's the, the, the adoption tax credit special uh, uh, specifies 
that for international adoption, it is the date that you can claim. Uh, you have to go by the date the adoption is finalized. And I believe there are probably still a couple of countries that, uh, although at this point they're, they're, they're not that many, uh, and, and I'm not even 100% sure if there are any. Okay, excellent. Let me remind everyone that you are listening to Creating a Family, and we are talking today about the Adoption Tax Credit with Josh Kroll and Becky Wilmoth. Uh, this show and all the resources we provide uh, are supported by partners who believe in our mission. One such partner is Vista Del Mar. They are a licensed nonprofit adoption agency with over 65 years of experience helping to create families. They offer home study only services as well as full service infant adoption, international, and foster to adopt programs. All right, coming back to understanding more about the adoption tax credit. Um, we've talked some about what are qualified expenses. And let me just say, uh, oftentimes, particularly when we're speaking of uh, domestic infant and international, I think people get hung up on what's qualified and what's not. But both of these types of, experience, ex, uh, of adoptions usually cost in excess and often significantly in excess of the amount that the adoption tax credit is set for this year, uh, 2018, 13810 So we often tell people, when in doubt, just go with the – I mean, you're going to likely have, well, a lot of expenses that are going to qualify. So don't, don't sweat some of the ones that you're not 100% sure of. Just put – there are so many that are specified that are very clearly covered that you can just use those uh, and not worry about the – um, if, if you're not 100% sure of a specific one. All right, now I want to talk about special needs adoptions. Now, uh, the adoption tax credit, uh, the tax code is very clear on what is considered a special need for purposes of the adoption tax credit. Josh, what is a special need adoption um, according if, if, to, get, to qualify that would qualify for the adoption tax credit? It basically comes down to, and they've gotten um, after some um, tax court cases where people challenged what is considered special needs, it, it basically comes down to um, does the child get adoption assistance from the state? Uh, because the key language is that the state um, has determined the child wouldn't be adopted without adoption assistance. And so that determined in that, in that tax court case was, you know, is an action that needs to be taken. So if I'm adopting a private domestic child, an infant that has disabilities, but I don't get adoption assistance for that child, and maybe agency um, charges less because, um, you know, the child has disabilities, um, I, I don't get to get the full amount. I have to have um, some form of adoption assistance from the state agency to qualify as special needs for the purpose of the adoption tax credit. And, and where we see it coming up sometimes is, well, both of the description where that, what you just described, a child born uh, with a handicap and, the, um, uh, and an agency has found a family. But we also see it come up in kinship adoptions where the, the grandparents or aunts or uncles are not uh, are adopting the child, but the child never entered the foster care system. Yeah. Uh, and the child could have significant special needs, often very similar special needs as to children that we would see in foster care, 
but if the child never went through the foster care system and, and you as a, a family member adopt that child, regardless of the degree of special need the child has, um, they would not qual- the family would not qualify for the adoption tax credit. Just um, to, to, I know this will probably open up a little can of worms, but <laughs> there are private adoptions, whether through an agency or independently through an attorney, that may be able to get adoption assistance if the child was found SSI eligible prior to being adopted and then the family applied and received adoption assistance from the state um, before finalization. So that that is a possibility, um, and we could talk about it on the other show we were talking about, um, scheduling in the near future, um, but it, it doesn't have to solely be from foster care, but that's the vast majority of these cases. I suppose the thing to think about then is if uh, think about it in advance and raise it with your uh, adoption agency or adoption attorney or and or and probably and your tax preparer um, so that you can understand what it is you would need to do uh, before the adoption is finalized and, and what we would need to apply for. Um, so it's something to think about if you're adopting a child with a significant special need uh, and not going through the state. Uh, and, and, um, and Don, actually, I have one more point since we're talking about the special needs adoptions, um, because you may have some families in this situation. So when I talk about an adoption assistance agreement, the most common people thing that people think about is the monthly payment that's called per diem, stipend, maintenance, basic, you know, whatever, the monthly payment. But um, there are a number of states that um, have a category for children who are at high risk of having an issue, and they mm-hmm. get a zero monthly payment, but they provide either Medicaid through the adoption assistance agreement and or uh, reimbursement of non-recurring adoption expenses. If a family has a zero-dollar payment but has either Medicaid and or the reimbursement of non-recurring adoption expenses, even though I've never been able to get the IRS to put it in writing, they do accept that as special needs for the purpose of the IRS. Yeah. I wanted to ask you a specific that you, you addressed part of what I was. When we say adoption assistance, there are different types of oh. assistance that states may offer. I mean, the monthly payment is the one that we all think of, but you're right. Medicaid, what about college tuition? That's another assistance that's often offered. So if you so as long as you – well, let me you've, – you've addressed Medicaid. What about uh, your child is eligible for um, um, uh, free college tuition? Would anything like that count uh, as if you have it in writing, or if you, even if you don't, I guess? Uh, Josh? No, okay. I mean, what, what, what the IRS is really looking for, if – you know, they're, they're not – it's not refundable, so they're not doing the widespread – you know, documentation, the audit correspond or co- correspondence audits, like they did in 2010 and 11. Um, but what they're really looking for, if they were to ask, is an adoption assistance agreement, and th- that's you, you need to have a document that provides one of those specific three things. The you know, like the states that have tuition waivers, those are on the code. I don't, I'm not seeing in the agreements language about that. And you know, the states could take away that benefit before the child turns 18. So, I mean, I'm not trying to scare anybody because I don't think anybody's going to do that. Cause Florida and Texas have been doing it for 20-some years, and they they haven't taken it away. But the the one state that probably 
is the most confusing on this. Uh, well, two states, I'll say, are the most confusing on this. Michigan has a medical subsidy program that is available to get benefits later on for children, even if they don't have the ongoing adoption subsidy or adoption assistance agreement, um, and that does not qualify. And in Georgia, they do a $0 agreement, but they do not provide the reimbursement nor the Medicaid, and that will not qualify. But mm -hmm. most other states, I don't know of any other states where there's that, a real big problem. Um, and because I deal with adoption subsidy, anybody that is unsure on this, I'm more than happy to talk to them directly. Okay, excellent. All right. Yeah. Okay, so uh, that is uh, domestic infant. What about, uh, we say now, we try to warn people now that um, the vast majority of international adoption, you should expect that the children coming home will have some form of special need. Um, how is special needs adoptions handled, uh, Becky, with um, international adoption under the adoption tax credit? Well, Dawn, generally what you and I consider special needs and what the IRS considers special needs is two complete different things. Yeah. Um, what the IRS considers special needs is basically hard to place. Um, so for international adoptions, for IRS purposes, there is not a special needs designation. It is strictly for the expenses, whether the child, you know, has any disabilities or, or anything like that going on. Um, international is just for expenses. They don't have a special needs um, designation. And I'm thankful Josh mentioned on the subsidy agreement, you know, there are subsidy agreements that don't come with money. And so I'm, I'm thankful that he, he mentioned that. And each state calls it something different, with it, but it's actually just the subsidy agreement. But as far as international, um, there is no IRS designation for special needs for the adoption tax credit. Okay. All right. Excellent. Well, not excellent necessarily. It's like just the right. opposite. But, I understand <laughs> but, what you're but, saying. But, but most of those families are going to be, like you mentioned earlier about sweating the small things on expenses, most of those families are going to be over you know, thirteen, fourteen thousand in expenses for an international Absolutely. adoption. So it, it's not going to change the end result for them. That's Correct. actually a really good point. Yeah. And, yeah. and so, and, and yet people will feel like they are being, you know, how can you tell me that my child who is in a wheelchair and blind is is not special need? It's you know, you're, it, and from the it, you've already it's the law. <laughs> it's it's, it's the, the law. I mean, they have to be a U.S. citizen. So well. I mean, well, the child may be a U.S. citizen, you know, uh, well, hopefully will be a U.S. citizen upon uh, final uh, arrival uh, yeah. back in the U.S. But nonetheless, you're going to have spent, if you're adopting internationally, you're going to have spent over $13,810. So it's a moot point because you will have qualified expenses. Um, I can't imagine a scenario where I'm sure – no doubt somebody is going to send us, send us an email telling us of a scenario, but that would be the exception, not the rule. The All only right. scenario generally, Dawn, for international adoptions that they don't have over the maximum amount of the credit is if they have received substantial grants. And then if they have, you know, for oh. an example, they had $25,000 in qualified international adoption expenses and they received $15,000 in grants, that grant money has to come off the top, so they would oh, only qualify true. for the ten thousand. That's that's really the only time that that ever comes into play. 
Yeah, that's, that's actually a really good point. And that, that's actually, when you say grants, are you talking about an employer adoption assistance program, which is very confusing because we're using we're gonna the come same to, term? Okay. No, she was talking about, we're going to come to that. I'm going to stop you now because we're going to have a whole section okay. on that. No, as I understand it, there are, uh, there are uh, if I understood Becky's point, uh, Becky, let me, let me say what I thought you said to make sure we're right here. You were talking about grants, not employer uh, adoption assistance, but grants from organizations that provide grants, particularly for significant special needs kids, or not even organizations, sometimes agencies will have individuals that have provided a grant uh, to help defray the cost of adopting a child with really significant special needs. Is that, that correct, correct, Becky? Okay, good. I, I'll I have to double check because I think, and I can't right now because the IRS is on shutdown, but I've had shifting answers from the person who writes the instructions on can those still be taken as qualified adoption expenses if an outside source is helping fund it. And I'll, I'll have to double check on that and get back to you because that might still be open. Okay. Well, then I tell you what we will do. We will, uh, <laughs> Josh will. Uh, get back to us on that, and we will include that uh, in uh, the, the notes that are associated with this course and interview, uh, So, if it is, especially if it differs in some way. Okay, I had always heard what Becky had said, which was uh, that it was not. But, uh, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll put a pin in that one, shall we say. Okay, um, Becky, what are the uh, income exclusions uh, if you make is the credit available regardless of your income, uh, as long as you've got qualified adoption expenses, or uh, is it uh, assuming you're not adopting from foster care with uh, special needs? Uh, are there certain income exclusions? For 2018, uh, the income phase out range for the adoption tax credit um, it starts at 207,140. And the the range goes to two hundred and forty seven thousand hundred and forty and that's modified adjusted gross income. So once you um are over that uh two hundred and forty seven thousand hundred and forty, you you do not qualify for the adoption tax credit at all. And in between that phase out range is kind of um you know, it's kinda of like chunks. You know, basically as you get over that two hundred and seven thousand and hundred and forty you qualify for less and less as you get closer to the 247,140. Okay. So there are some restrictions on income. All right. Uh, Let me pause for a moment to say that you are listening to Creating a Family, and we are talking about the adoption tax credit. And I have a favor to ask. Will you please write a review of this show? If you are uh, of not just a specific show, although you're welcome to write a review of this specific show, but I meant in general for creating a family. Um, we are uh, the number one ranked show in this uh, in this area of covering uh, adoption and foster care. And I would really appreciate uh, the way that we are ranked that is because we have reviews, and it really means a lot. And the, uh, particularly iTunes utilizes their reviews as the method for uh, how they recommend shows to people, so it makes us more easily found. So anyway, it would mean a lot to me 
if you would pop over to iTunes, go to the Creating a Family Show, and there's a button there, very easy. You can either do a star ranking, you know, uh, one to five stars, or uh, and you can also write something specific uh, just that uh, about the show that would help other people. So please, please, please uh, pop over there. We really would appreciate it. All right. Uh, now I want to come to the uh, – uh, I want to talk about – the whole point of, of employee benefits. Uh, we, we raised that uh, Don, a second ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I did find the email I had before. Um, this isn't official ruling, um, but is the legal thoughts that we can't hold her to about, uh, like, gifts and grants. Okay, so, yeah. So, okay, let me go back and summarize what we're talking about. Um, if you have an international adoption, usually of a child with, uh, I guess it doesn't have to be, significant special needs, but we often see that the grants will be coming for children with significant special needs. How, are, and I, that may be a moot point actually for this discussion, how, uh, let's say regardless of special needs, you have an, an international adoption and you receive a grant from either the agency or from an independent uh, granting organization to cover some of the cost or all of the cost. For adopting that child, how is how are uh, how does the adoption tax credit handle that grant money? Does it disqualify the grant money from qualified adoption expenses or not? And this is like I said, it is not um, an official private letter ruling or chief counsel advice, um, but basically crowdsourced contributions or grants would be treated as gift in how the money comes to the taxpayer, and that gift um, wouldn't necessarily change the qualification of the qualified adoption expenses. Um, So like the example that is given, and um, I can share with you, um, although not widely, um, the email that I have, but the example is given, if I give you, uh, Don, money to pay for your mortgage payment, um, even though I'm giving it to you, you will still be able to claim that um, as a deduction if you itemize your taxes next year. Um, you know, so the, my giving you that money doesn't disqualify your ability to get that tax benefit. All right, and Josh, will you give out right now your email? So if anyone is in the position and is wanting help with this specific sure. issue, um, the best bet, this is not a, he, what Josh is saying, it appears to be a, I'm going to say a gray area because it's not official policy, but Josh will be able to provide this information to make it helpful uh, for you. So Josh, would you give out your email now? It's J-O-S-H-K, so Josh K, at N-A-C-A-C dot O-R-G. Okay, and that stands for the N-A-C-A-C, NACAC, stands for North American Council on Adoptable Children. Okay, perfect. Okay, so that will so this is not official, so this is information that your tax provider, and you may have to make this case to the IRS, so Josh can help you um, by giving you the information that he has. All right, moving on to employee benefits. Uh, Becky, how are employer benefits? And let me just say that we are seeing more and more employers provide adoption benefits. Just to, let's pause for a moment and say, yay! Um, yes. That's tr- it's just terrific. And, and I truly 
uh, I'm just seeing a lot more of them doing that. So anyway, this is a, becoming a, certainly a more relevant uh, topic. So how are employer benefits handled for purposes of the adoption tax credit? Generally, your employer-provided adoption benefits um, that will show up in box 12 of your W-2 with the code T, and your taxable amount of your salary um, can be reduced by that amount. Now, generally, depending on how you know much you have in expenses, if you have enough expenses, you may qualify for the uh, ex- income exclusion and apply for the credit. It just cannot be for the same expenses. So let's just say, for an example, you had... 30,000 in qualified expenses, um, you could, and you have an employer, a qualified employer program. It has to be a written program, and you know, the employees given notice and all those things, all those uh, details are laid out in publication 15B um, for the employee benefits provided by an employer. Um, but you can qualify for the credit and for the full amount of the exclusion if you have enough expenses. Basically, you just can't double dip. But that will um, that income can be excluded, and it will just be on your W-2 with a code T, and that is how it is reported. So if you have – Josh, I interrupted you. You were going to say uh, something? Go ahead. You, you summarize. I have a question I'll follow up with. Okay, yeah, I was going to summarize. Okay. So you, basically there are two potentially two types of, of, of tax benefits in the adoption tax credit uh, uh, code. Uh, one is the one we've been talking about up to this point, and that is the adoption tax credit, which can be used to reduce your taxable liability, whatever taxes you owe the federal government that is applied to a one-on-one reduction to you owe X amount and uh, let's say you owe uh, uh, $13,000 in federal taxes and you have qualified expenses, that will directly offset what you owe for taxes. There's another type of tax benefit, and that is you can reduce your is it your adjusted uh, modified adjusted gross income? Is that the is that the line? Is that the correct term, Becky? Correct. It, it what it does it reduces the amount of taxable income that will show up in box one of W two. And the good the the other benefit is you can also take the exclusion if you adopt from the foster care system. The child is considered special needs. Um, and your employer has a qualified adoption program, you can also take the income exclusion. So, okay. I mean, it, it has even multiple if you benefits don't, here. Even if you don't get that benefit. What do you mean, even if you don't get that benefit? Even if the employer doesn't actually pay the adoption right. assistance benefit to the family, they still right. can claim that full exclusion. Correct. Okay, so the adoption. Let me. Uh, uh, so the uh, uh, employer has a, let's say, for example, a ten thousand uh, dollar adoption benefit. If you adopt from foster care, very often, in fact, most often, you would not be paying anywhere close to fifteen, uh, anywhere close to ten thousand. In fact, you may well pay nothing. So your employer, depending on how the policy is written, but most of the policies I've read, they're not going to give you the ten thousand. They're, they're they're only going to allow you to. They only give you that if you actually pay. Uh, you have expenses. If you adopt from foster care, chances are good you would not. 
but if I'm hearing you correctly, Josh, that even if you the employer does not give you any money to cover your adoption from foster care because you didn't pay anything, you can still reduce your taxable income on your taxes by the amount they would have paid you if you had had expenses. Uh, did I say that correctly, Josh? Correct, except the amount would be the full 13810 Yeah, well, okay, yeah. And, and, oh, and they do oh, have wait. to be considered have, special wait, needs. You would, you would get to reduce your income by 13000 even though the benefit, the, the employee benefit was only 10000 Correct. Okay. All right. But they have to be considered special needs. And yeah. there has to okay. be a qualified adoption program prior yeah. to the adoption being final. Meaning a qualified adoption program with your, through employee benefit qualified adoption program. Is that yeah. what you meant? Yes, ma'am. Gotcha. Okay, gotcha. Now, the part about double dipping, let me make sure I've understood that correctly. I'm going to uh, – so let's say you uh, are uh, uh, doing an adoption, and it costs uh, $30,000, and uh, you have qualified adoption expenses of uh, 13810 so you offset that amount and you use that as a credit. You have an employer benefit of 10000 you have to make certain that the, uh, benef- the that the qualified adoption expenses that you were utilizing to off- to justify the employee benefit are a separate set of expenses than the ones you used for the credit. I feel like I may have confused it more. Um, but first, <laughs> let me make sure that I'm correct. Becky, is that correct? Yes. Okay. Uh, it might be easier talking. if you say yes. you have an adoption that costs twenty thousand. Your employer reimburses you ten thousand, and you you know you pay twenty thousand for it. So you're going to exclude ten thousand of it, and instead of taking a credit of thirteen thousand eight hundred ten, you only have ten thousand left in qualified adoption expenses. So that's what you'll take the credit for. Yeah, that may be a more. Yeah, that you're right. That may, that does make it easier. In my head, my example made sense. <laughs> it's it's actually, totally accurate. It just. To, to make yeah. the point more clearly, you want to go under the yeah. total amount available. Right. Well, and, and to make it really clear, if you use your, your agency fee of, of $8,000 uh, for your benefits, you can't then use, submit the, the, the payment for the agency fee uh, to the IRS to justify the credit. You have to choose some other expenses, um, which, again, depending on um, how much you, you spend, may or may not be a problem. Okay, and also one thing that Josh said earlier, I want to I want to backtrack just a little bit. If it is a gift from someone, it absolutely does not go against um, their qualified expenses. If it's a gift from someone, it does not have to come off the top of their expenses. I just wanted to reiterate and affirm that that is that is correct. And that's well, that's the point Josh was making earlier about yeah. grants and crowdfunding part. Yeah. Or gifts, uh, just flat-out gifts. Yeah. Your parents give you $10,000 um, to help uh, help you with um, providing them for a grandchild. <laughs> All right. Now let's go to the nuts and bolts here. What type of documentation should you submit with your taxes in order to simplify and, and reduce any uh, chances of the IRS balking and, and taking longer and, and – uh, and, and having you then not get your uh, uh, refund or, or uh, get the credit when you think you want to. Uh, Becky, let's start with you, and uh, and then we'll let Josh chime in. So, 
Josh be taking note if we miss anything. Correct. Um, right now, you do not have to send anything in, when, especially if you electronically file your return. Um, all of the information will be on that form, 8839. Um, you no longer have to send, you know, unless the IRS sends you back a letter requesting more documentation. Don't panic. Um, uh, the only thing, if, if the IRS does request more documentation, um, for all adoptions, they're going to want the final judgment of adoption that's signed and dated. And then also for, uh, for foster care special needs adoption, they will want a copy of the uh, adoption assistance determination, which is basically the subsidy agreement. That's for foster. They'll want the final judgment of adoption and a copy of the sub subsidy agreement. And those all, of course, have to be signed and dated. Now for um, domestic and for international, um, they will want the final judgment of adoption, um, copy of the home study placement agreement, and a copy of all of the qualified uh, expenses. Um, and like I said, those all have to be signed and dated. The IRS will not accept it unless it's signed and dated. But as of right now, you do not have to send anything in when you file for the adoption tax credit. Um, the only recommendation that I have, particularly, um, two things is, number one, if you are filing for uh, the credit for a failed adoption, um, I would include a copy of the paid expenses when you send it in paper, um, but it's not completely necessary. But I, but I recommend that you do because there is no Social Security number to tag to that adoption tax credit. The other recommendation that I have is sometimes international receipts fade quickly. So when you get home, um, I would make a copy of all of your international receipts um, if you don't have a good copier, you know, go to some copy place and, and just make sure you have good copies. And then mark an uh, IRS envelope and just put all of this stuff in there. And that way, if the IRS ever does request more documentation, you know, just make a good copy. Um, don't ever send the originals. And then put a uh, whoever is primary on the tax return, put your Social Security number at the top of every page that you are sending to the IRS and send it registered receipt. And so what you don't submit it with, obviously at this point, particularly because you're, not, you're, you're filing electronically, but you need to have in your records and be prepared to be asked to provide that, and, so, and you need to have it in your records. And how long should you keep these records, uh, Becky? Um, I recommend seven years. Okay, so you keep these records because the IRS, if they were to come back in the future, you obviously don't want to have to recreate this. And a, uh, uh, you want to have the, a copy of the adoption decree. Let me just confirm that if you're adopting internationally and your adopt, finalized adoption decree is a decree in this foreign country, that is, that is sufficient. Correct. But it okay. needs to be translated into English. Correct. Yeah. So, yeah, so, and that, that comes down to the whole issue of, of that's a whole separate thing, but that's one reason some people go ahead and uh, do uh, finalize it and do a second adoption here in the U.S. just so that they have one that's in English um, for other purposes, but that's another thing. So you would need to have it translated, uh, and, uh, and uh, it would have to be um, signed and 
Becky's point is well taken that we, you also need to be concerned about the fading because you're going to keep it for a long period of time. The, the other thing I would just say with the documenting expenses based on, you know, it's better to hear this now because it's easier, you know, as Becky was pointing out, to, to be proactive than reactive and try and recreate something is when the IRS was doing the vast numbers of um, correspondence audits and asking for expenses, they wanted um, not only receipts but proof of payment. Because, like, I could just send you an invoice saying that I charged you $10,000, and they wanted proof that it was actually paid. Um, So I would keep credit card or bank receipts that show payment. Just if you want to be really proactive and diligent and OCD on this, I would keep those also with those records. Correct, absolutely, because the IRS doesn't care what's been billed. They want to know what's been paid. Well, that makes good sense. Okay, so um, that makes – okay, so not – so in, in with your record, you're also going to be keeping not only the uh, – you want proof that you paid it, whatever that is. Gotcha. All right, let's talk uh, about – You've it's been alluded to a, a couple of times – uh, that when you're uh, filing uh, your credit and your, I mean, your uh, taxes, uh, and you may or may not have a Social Security number or a uh, adoption taxpayer identification number for the child. So, what are uh, Becky? Let's let's uh, send this to you. What are some of the cases where you might not have um, these numbers, and what in the world do you do since there's a box that you have to fill out and put that information in, and if you don't have it? then what do you do? One, one of your options uh, for a domestic adoption, a lot of times um, you won't get that Social Security card until it's final, um, but yet they qualify as, as your dependent because they've been in your home since birth. So what you can do is file a W-7 with your tax return. It will take a little longer um, for everything, but that's, that's what I recommend is file, file a W-7 with your tax return and that is the application for the A-10. And then when everything is final, make sure and go back and apply for the Social Security card and Social Security number um, because they do expire. Um, you know, I've had several situations where, you know, clients didn't realize that, you know, that that number would expire. And if they generally, if they qualify for a Social Security number, um, they will not give them an A-10. Okay, so an A-10 is, is what you get if you, for whatever reason, do not have the Social Security number of the child. Correct. Okay, got it. So that's how you would handle that. Um, in the time we have left, I just want to make certain we touch uh, on kinship adoptions in any way that that can, that can differ. Uh, so, Josh, uh, we certainly see uh, a lot of family who either have full guardianship or uh, have uh, completed adoptions for their children. They're not infants, uh, or they might be infants. So are there, is there anything different that we need to worry about for kinship providers who uh, are uh, caring for or adopting children and how that might qualify, how that might impact the adoption tax credit? So we have another hour? No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's so many things involved. In terms of the adoption tax credit, um, 
if they have a child that has significant disabilities, I would pursue the route to see if that child can get SSI and then apply for adoption assistance in the state where they reside if this is informal kinship with a child not in the foster care system. Um, if if that isn't a possibility, they, like anybody else who's not who's doing any adoption like a total stranger, um, not adopting their spouse's child, can claim um, the credit for expenses that they paid out of pocket. Um, the one other thing that I would really um, caution any kinship, and there's lots of really great and valid reasons for them to move from guardianship to adoption, is are they currently accessing resources that they really need that may disappear if they adopt? Very good point. Uh, let me go back, though, and circle back. So for uh, uh, kinship providers who have not who have guardianship or it could be called different things they can have permanent custody guardianship whatever it is called but they have not gone through a formal adoption uh, are they eligible for they're raising the child you know so they've got all the expenses but they're uh, uh, but there's no adoption um, are they can they qualify in any way Josh yeah, but they can they can qualify for the expenses that they paid if the child um, does not get qualified as special needs by the state well, that's if they adopt, though. If they don't adopt, if they adopt, is, yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry. I thought we were. I yeah. mean, we're talking. Sorry, I yeah. apologize. No, no, I no, didn't no. get that no, you were talking I, about if there was a guardianship credit and there is right. not. No, there's nothing. Okay. Okay. Now, does it matter how long? We have a question from someone who has been raising. Uh, I think it's her niece uh, for uh, quite a few years. Uh, she doesn't say what the current arrangement, a legal arrangement, is. She's wondering if she adopts the child now. Uh, can she still claim the adoption credit even though the child has been living with her for quite a few years? Uh, Becky, I'll ask that one to you. Well, it would be for the expenses only related yeah. directly to the adoption. But, yes, she yes. could. Okay. And, and right. assuming the kid's under 18, too. Correct. Oh, that's a good yeah. point. She doesn't. I yeah. think in this case uh, the child is, but you're right. Yeah. Okay. I mean, most likely, but, you know, just want to throw that out there. Well, it's true because we certainly yeah. see uh, teens being, and, and, and we uh, not uh, unusually actually in our uh, support group, people will adopt children who, uh, just because it's important to the child, uh, not that they, uh, you know, that the child wants to have a permanent family, and even though the child may be over 18. All right, so that's relevant. All right, well, thank you so much, so much, listen to me, so much. <laughs> Josh Kroll and Becky Wilmoth for talking with us again today on the uh, adoption tax credit. Let me remind people that uh, you've been listening to Creating a Family, and we exist because of the support of our partners, and uh, they, these are organizations who believe in education and support. Uh, and one such organization is Adoptions from the Heart. They have helped build over 6,000 families since 1985 through domestic infant adoption. Uh, to get more information, uh, Josh, how would people reach you? You've already given your address, uh, I mean your email address, but uh, can you give them the NACAC uh, website for how they might reach oh, you? It's www.nacac.org, and my phone number is 651-644-3036, extension 15. 
Okay. And Becky, for people who, first of all, um, it is such that, that you do not have to work with a tax preparer that lives in your state. Is that correct? That is correct. Um, we okay. are enrolled agents, um, and we have the highest license uh, that you can obtain from the IRS. And so I do taxes for all 50 states um, and represent clients for all 50 states. So how would people reach you? Can you give your uh, website and or email address? Absolutely. Our website is BillsTaxService.com, and there is an adoption tab on there. You can go in and uh, our information, and there's several different articles that I have been asked to write for different adoption magazines. It's kind of a nuts and bolts on how the adoption tax credit works. And my email is Becky, B-E-C-K-Y, at Bills. B I L L S T A X, the number two dot com. Excellent. Thank you so much, and we will see you next week. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance, which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations.